Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Reign. This is an episode on arts policy in Ireland. This is your host, Jack Kavanagh, and I'm joined by... Jack Kerwin. So, well, here's what we want to discuss. Arts policy is a part of almost all governments, but it's a very unusual area that doesn't get a lot of attention. And the big part of this is that I don't think most people, even a lot of the time the people running you know, the actual Minister for Arts and Culture knows why we're actually funding the arts, what its purpose is for, and why different programs they have for funding the arts are there. And the problem with that is if you don't know what the intention of a past grant or subsidy was, you can find out if it's actually having the effect that you want. So I suppose the the first example I'm going to go with, because it's a relatively easy one, is... uh, Bursaries for writers. Right. right. It's a common enough one. Most, I think most counties even have a little bit of a bursary. Yeah, county councils tend to give them out too. Now, fortunately, the writer's bursary, I think, its primary purpose is mainly for writers who are focused heavily on Irish culture. So they write mainly in areas and about things that just don't have legs outside of Ireland. There's also all the Gaelgore grants as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. And I think the purpose of that is very simply so, you know, young Irish writers or even middle-aged Irish writers still keep the focus on Ireland and keep developing, you know, the Ireland's long history of writing about Ireland. Yeah. And to that degree, it works well. We have a lot more people who write about Ireland than I imagine most countries or size do. Yeah, we do. We, we, have, yeah. we punch above our weight on that. Um, so that's a success and they know why they're doing it but there's a lot of strange arts policies that it obviously people have forgotten what the purpose of it is Uh, so I'll also use the example of uh, up until relatively recently um, any money made from artistic endeavors for an individual was pretty much tax-free yeah Uh, they recently cut that down to what is it 40 grand I thought it was 80. Or Might be 80. There's a, there's a cap now. Yeah, yeah. and there's, it's a cap. And it's a cap for the simple reason. When that policy was introduced way back in the early 80s, I think, or even before. 60s. Yeah. 60s, it was brought in. It, it yeah. was introduced for the simple thing of, it was difficult enough to make a living in Ireland. It was near impossible to be an artist to make a living yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't tax them, they were able to keep doing what they do. Worked fine. Then, you know, around the 80s, suddenly you start getting major music groups managed to start getting legs outside of Ireland and you start getting a couple of writers getting nice legs outside of Ireland even a couple of directors and actors mm-hmm. and suddenly that policy came under fire for the simple thing of you had guys making multi-million fortunes that they weren't paying tax on because you know they could claim this exemption yeah yeah, yeah. and the problem now fortunately they recognized that this was a problem and corrected it decades after it was clear that it was I mean, an they, issue. they had brought in earlier caps and stuff like that, but this was more of like, I think this is in the last budget you're talking about, they yes. sort of, they really brought it way down. Because yeah. it had been, like, they had adjusted it in the mid-80s and a few other things like that. But yeah, basically this change sort of brought an end to what had been a 45-year experiment. Yeah. And I think the experiment was successful, but the lack of the cap... Yeah. Made I mean the lack of the cap nearly ended the experiment early because people were looking at it and their assumption was, you know, this is just an exemption from for guys like Bono, you know, yeah. to take advantage of. Which is, with, he's like one percent of all the artists, uh, like even less, less, you know, point five. And you know. it's the thing if they weren't looking at 
what the actual intent was, which was usually it wasn't even for writers or directors or actors. Stuff like that. Usually painters, a lot of just weirdly, you came across a lot of guys who did uh, masonry work. Yeah. You know, a uh, lot of the guys who make statues, we still have a fair few of them. Though. Like they, they would get the odd paid gig here and there and they wouldn't yeah. get taxed on it. Well, that's fair enough. Cause yeah. they're only working a couple of times a year. Yeah, you're getting a decent wage to, 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 to make that statue, but yeah. you're probably not making another one for a while. Yeah. So they have to live off it. Yeah. Um, but, but the issue I think comes in is that governments, or at least the Irish governments have been terrible at explaining the purpose and intent of their arts policies. With the exception of Hawkey who brought that one in and then yes. did explain it. Yes. But then promptly got forgotten why exactly it existed for the vast once majority he, of the arts public. Was gone, yeah, yeah. Um, because he was a big friend of the arts. Because you know he's you know rich guys. Rich guys like art things. Well, I hear the Gatsby <laughs> thing. Yeah, but you know it is that it is very important because I think at the moment it's becoming more and more clear that especially as the arts have broadened heavily in most of the world, but in this country in particular. Um, the ability, for example, there's there, there are questions of, um, you know, do YouTube videos count under this? Um, there's also issues of more and more people are able to actually make their own small scale artistic projects go global in a way that was completely impossible even 10 years ago yeah. would have been very difficult. And the problem is, is that the arts and culture department is largely ignored. And thus, it doesn't end up in any scandals, but it does tend to, I suppose, just it has a significant institutional lag, I think is the problem. It just does not catch up with the current reality very fast. And I think it's important to have this discussion simply for the, the, the fact of, if you don't, it becomes very tempting if we have, and it was very tempting during the last recession, it was very tempting to start cutting things and not look at the grander effects. Um, so obviously most grants got heavily cut, and the amount of people receiving them got cut. And in some cases it had a minor effect, in other cases it had major effects. But it was never done at, while looking at the grander policy intention, because there wasn't one. There wasn't one, no. There was no policy and no knowledge of why they even had, I think for the most part, aside from people understanding um, that it's important to remember that the arts department doesn't just cover writing, you know, painting oh. and that stuff. It also covers heritage. And the Gale took And the Gale talked. And now rural affairs, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> well, painting if you're a farmer, I suppose. But this is the, what Jack's basically talking about is the fact that the arts department writ large only came into being in 1997 as a specific yeah. government department. And it has never been on its own. It's always been jammed in with other things. And it, it has... Every government pretty much reorganizes the art department and yes. sticks it into something else. And so what you've ended up with is they actually have come up with strategies and plans and the, the, the civil servants in the Department of Arts will go to their colleagues in finance and say, well, we need this money and finance just goes, no, go yeah. away. And you, you have a succession of ministers who have different interests. So arts tends to go with sports. So you have a lot of ministers who go, well, I'm going to take all this money and we're going to build gah pitches. Yes. Which is fine. That's what yeah. they're into. But the problem is they're, they're in charge of both. Yes. And you have other ministers who really give a damn about built heritage. We've got to protect this statue, this monument, this ancient building. We're going to buy this, whatever. And they don't give a damn about arts policy. You have very few who actually are art focused. You had Michael D in yes. 97. 
and this is a really weird one, John O'Donoghue. Yes. John O'Donoghue liked arts things. I don't really understand why, but it benefited people when he was a minister yeah. for arts. Well, I, th- I think there's the, the problem of, even if you look at the... Uh, of course, her- there's the special advisor aspect yes. too. But even when you look at the heritage aspect, like our heritage policy is disastrously disjointed. You can go across the country and, like, I mean, if you live in Ireland, you're well aware that like, half the time you'll be going down a road and you'll be passing five or six. Well, that looks like it was significant for some reason. It was a big castle. It's collapsing a bit, but, you know, it's still there. Yeah. And you will find no information what it is, why it's important, you why it's there. It's, been marked. it's just marked as, this is an important thing. Good luck finding out what it is, yeah. but it's important. And again, that comes into an issue of, because this also covers history. Yeah. I don't, I'm sure you did, but down in uh, Clare, there's a historian, I believe he lived in Clare Castle actually, just down the road from me, but um, he wrote a huge tome of a book on just the history of Clare. And Clare is not a big place, and not a lot happened there. So you can be relatively sure that that history of Clare is the definitive history of Clare. There is no one who's really going to be able to stand up and challenge this. There's not really anyone else going, ah, well, you got that little bit wrong, because he is the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's important, but the problem is, is that at the same time, I don't think anyone ever thought, maybe we should ask this guy about all these various monuments and historical places all dotted around the countryside, mm. and maybe put up a plaque I've gone to many other countries. If you've you've been to France, yeah, you pass by a chateau or a castle. There's a you can be info. guaranteed there is a little info plaque. It might just be in French, but usually it's in multiple languages. Well, there's loads of them all over Berlin. They're everywhere. Yes. drilled into the walls, and they tell you this is yeah. such and such a wall. And you go, oh right. And there's a couple. I, like even in Galway, there's a couple. But here's the thing: you'll also notice that the couple that are there, they're old. They're very old. Um, the Judge Lynch's wall Judge has Lynch's one, wall, yeah, but yeah. that is a very old. That's from like the, I, that must be the sixties, fifties even. even. Yeah, it's yeah. very old. And it's the thing of I've had multiple times um, living in Galway. I, you know, I worked in a, a restaurant, and, you know, tatting to tourists, and I know the history of Galway pretty well, and all these little fun stories. They have no idea. Yeah. Even just as an example, you know, the Air Square. Yeah. The the flags of all the tribes. Yeah, that's new. That wasn't there, there when is, we went there. Um, it came in. It was after they actually managed to redo it after yeah, taking years. That. But underneath, there is not a single plaque. You would think it would cost nothing to just add a little plaque under each flag going, and this is the French family, and the French family did this, and notable members include, and a little story, yeah, little thing to read. Yeah. It's just like, no, here's a flag, no context. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to ask people about these and figure out what happened, and most people don't even know, yeah. you know? Well, I think what, what you're talking about there is the incoherence between all these councils that were put together. Yes. So the Heritage Council was put together in the 1990s, and it was, dis- it, was, it was brought about basically in response to the widespread destruction of built heritage. Yes. People forget this. Like, uh, my uncle had a story about little farmers and JCBs just destroying old things on their yeah. land that drove them mad. This is like his memories of the 70s, people doing this. And... He's, he's right. Well, especially after Newgrange, a lot of yeah. them got panicked that that little hill that's, you know, in the middle of their land is going to be a major site like Newgrange and they're going to have to... Do something about yeah. it. Yeah, farmers are, are not good with visitors. No. They're, strangers bad, you no. know. So uh, we lost a lot of stuff. We had the famous 
and still to this day pisses a lot of people off the the wood key yes they cemented it they built the county council offices and they preserved like two feet of it yeah and then they they have the 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 kind of the cojones to then stage arts conferences in the building which is built upon a historic you know, yeah. know. so after that uh, the Rainbow Coalition got into government in the 1990s uh, the Minister for Arts was appointed it was Michael D. Higgins and he pushed for this Heritage Council to be put in place with a lot of regulatory authority and it was designed basically to prevent the kind of abuses that had happened before where stuff yep. was just ripped apart and destroyed and they put in a lot of regulations on builders mm-hmm they put in a lot of regulations about plaques and stuff like that. And I remember doing this when I was in college. I was doing my master's. I looked at their funding. So from like the mid-90s to the early 2000s, nice big fat budgets. Yeah. In the in the million, tens of millions. Then by the, once the building boom started, the budgets got very, very small. Yeah. Not a big priority. And you saw where the money was going. It stopped going into protecting built heritage. And started going more into these weird environmental impacts. Stuff. Yes. So it, it ended up basically the Heritage Council is in, it's kind of an incoherent agency now. Well, I mean, for my traveling around the country, I, I think I've visited every county in the country for a decent length of time. The thing I've noticed is that essentially the amount of effort put into the arts, as far as I can tell, really comes down to how successful people in the community were in the 90s. So Galway, for example. Yes, Galway's already had a, always had a bit of a relation to the arts, but not as historically strong as people imagine. No. Um, it literally comes down to the Druid Theatre. Mm. Very successful. And so Galway had a, you know, Galway County Council had a sort of thing of like, well, we should probably keep investing in this, and this is why it has all these festivals during the summer. Mm. And I, I would have some questions about whether that's the best use of the funding, but it's definitely important to fund those festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go to ver- most other counties, and it's clear that they never had any great successes, and when they did, they happened at the wrong times, and so the funding just never materialized. But you're right that basically a, a lot of it does come from that 1990s spell when a whole bunch of money was fired mm. at both arts and heritage. If you look at a lot of the rebuilt structures, so like you know when they go into a monastery, yeah. and they, that's all 1990s. Um, so all of the major work we're looking at the 1990s there was a small resurgence in the mid 2000s um, very small there was there's a recent one that was in line with the centenary stuff yes. but that's controversial in another way because the, the there was basically no academic no professional input no specialist oh, input. they just went to marketing boards more than yeah. anything else and so basically it just became what it was which was just a mess yes so you're right so we might have all these plans on paper but nobody's implementing them because the department of arts is viewed around the government cabinet as a pretty low level something to put somebody who you know you're not too worried about put them in there or it's actually also used as a stepping stone to get into better positions um, it's, it's a testing ground for young ministers. Or else it's a farming out ground for yeah. old ministers. That seems to be the way it goes. Yeah. And so in this case, what we have is, if the management, if the leadership from a political level doesn't care, and if the civil servants feel like every time there's a new government, they're going to get jammed in with some other random department yeah. that they have nothing to do with, such as rural affairs... Which is way, way more attention given to than arts. So putting it in there 
really Just overshadows the arts. The arts. It's yeah, not yeah. like if you've got to deal with rural affairs writ large of just everything rural, which is a fair amount of the country. That's like 80% of the country. I don't yeah. understand what... Like, rural affairs. Like, I remember when they announced this and they were very excited about it. And I was like, but what does it do? Like, it's not rural infrastructure. Yeah. It's like rural affairs. Okay. Okay, that's a lot to cover. What does it know? mean? But, I mean, even if you look at it, it is, it is that just issue of... Again, a lot of the funding still retains in the county councils. Yeah, that's weird, yeah. And that's a strange one, because it's almost as if... They've also merged their heritage and arts officers in a lot of councils. Yeah, which does not work very well. No. Um, because it, as it, it is that uh, very difficult to, to explain at times of a historian and an artist are looking at things in very different ways and have very different priorities. And most of the heritage officers are not historians. No, that's even They're a bigger architects. problem. They're architects. Yeah. Or engineers. They're looking at how we can maintain this or yeah. if it's necessary to really. destroy it yeah um, and sometimes it is necessary to destroy these things i would argue in some places the uh preserving of buildings went a little too far but that always is going to happen yeah that's After so much that. destruction we had to do yeah. the other way but but the inertia is, the, the inertia point that you, you keep coming back to is right because what we have you've got 20 years of regulations hmm. nobody has looked up half these regulations no like I contacted the Heritage Council, and it took them a week to find some of the regulations <laughs> when I was doing a paper on it. Yes, and they were very nice. They were very happy to get in touch. But they're probably surprised. They're probably looking at a phone a that had cobwebs on it. They were it. like, "What the hell?" They were like, "From what year?" Oh God, we'll have to look. And they yeah. they found it. And they sent it, but they were like, "Nobody looks at this stuff." No. And of course, it's all also intertwined with all this EU regulations, which also were a bit all over the shop, and so it creates this web which most people find very opaque and yeah. annoying. And what happens is that the public focus when it comes to arts and heritage funding, which are always talked about in tandem, even yes. though they're very different. It also leads to this very interesting thing that, that you will know very well, and I do as well, of you end up in a thing where different areas of the country end up highly specialized in one thing yeah, in terms right. of arts. Yeah, it's very odd. So it's, it's that kind of strange thing of, you know, for a while there... If you were really looking at film, it's like Waterford and kind of Sligo really were the hot spots for a little while. And then kind of that simmered down because people had to move on because there's no structures in place for them. Oh, you mean this is for like film companies? Yes. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. like the Sligo Leitrim thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. then, you know, if you look at the, the theater for a while, again, there was that, you know, Galway, yeah, Galway Cork. Cork. And yeah. that was, and again, it's simmered down for a while because it is that problem of rather than capitalizing on those very brief moments, a couple of years, sometimes seven, eight years you get, where a group of just a little generation in a bubble, and it is in a bubble, um, comes together and actually manages to really make something of the local theater group or really, they, you know, for whatever reason, that just group of kids doing speech and drama, for example, have really excelled. But the problem is they never managed to capitalize on it. And inevitably those people drift away and it just exists as a small bubble in time that's immediately forgotten. And that leads to a problem of it means you're not able to actually build networks. I mean, I'd say it's probably the biggest problem with the arts in Ireland is there aren't very strong networks on the very small level. Well, okay. Yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's yeah. no networks. There's, there's three big problems I see. One... 
complicated competing and very much out out of date regulations. Yes. A couple of EU ones that we should have actually just opted out from. This is another thing, listeners just writ large with the EU. We can opt out. Mm. It's just that the government doesn't bother. Yes. But we can. We can just say, no, that doesn't apply to us. Yeah. Good luck. So that's the first thing. And we have to repeal some of our own regulations that don't make any sense. Just just because of the internet. It yes. doesn't make any sense. The second one is we have a network of theatres across the country, largely built in small towns. Yeah. Or relatively small to medium towns. The gateway cities and stuff yeah, like that. I mean... But no, these theatres are not just used as venues for theatrical performances. They are used as art centres writ large. Yes. Which is a huge problem. They're not designed for that. They're badly designed theatres in the first place. They're owned and run by the state. They're subsidised by the state. And the state goes, well, we're not going to build a newer facility. Yeah. We're just going to keep this show on the road. Until it probably starts falling apart in 10, 15 years. Because yeah. most of them built during the boom. And a lot of that stuff is not even built well. Built in the 80s. And the hockey mm. thing is even worse. So what, what you end up with is you have a series of facilities that are not fit for purpose. But here's the thing. They don't all work well together. It's no. much like, as I'm sure anyone who's gone to school, have you ever had to do non-science classes in a science lab? It does, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. But there's some guy always but lighting the Bunsen burner. There's some guy lighting the Bunsen burner. You've got a giant sink in the middle of the table when you're trying to look at various notes so your book is somewhat just in this sink. And you're on massive, like, high-up stools, which you don't need to be on. And you could probably be having a science class in there that's probably happening in some basement somewhere else. You can do it, but you can't do it very well. Mm -hmm. And there's a problem with not doing things very well is that then people can't learn how to do it well. You know, you can't learn to project properly if you're mainly you're getting your experience in small theatres mm -mm. with equipment that is often outdated or just straight-up missing lenses. I mean, yeah, part of it is that. I mean, I think as well, like, theatre practice is one of those ones where you... It's probably better to train in crappier places than in better places because then you actually I, learn I, how... I would agree. You yeah. learn your craft better, you have to adapt... But, it, you shouldn't help, ha, it shouldn't be required that you do go and train in crappy places because no. that's all you have. No, no, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's very, very true. And of course, the thing is that people do value arts practice in their communities. They mightn't call it that, but they, they go to the panto. Well, every small rural community yeah. I've ever encountered, they do their yearly musical. They go, they the do a musical. Least. But they'll also, they mightn't go to an art exhibition, that, but, but they might go to see a sculpture. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're, they're, they're not like, you know, not interested. I think part of it is the smaller communities feel like this art, what I've heard from just looking at yes. submissions from communities, is they feel this stuff is imposed on them. I, they don't know. It's the thing of, there is an importance of artistic literacy. Very simple. You can't, it's very difficult, and I know this, right? I am not particularly great at understanding painting, right? No. My mother it does paint quite a lot and makes sure I have understood now. Yeah. But, you know, when I was a kid, I'd go to these art galleries and see these things. Go, That's a nice picture. Now that I'm older, I go, mother of God, how did you manage to do that? That is such intricate brushwork and so on, so on, so on. I don't have any of that. I'm yeah. a Bob Ross man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's the thing. That's what the use of Bob Ross is, is you develop the literacy of painting so you can actually understand what's impressive and what's not like you have to actually develop that very base level oh man it's actually quite difficult 
you know, the classic one being drawing hands. Yeah, very hard. I always love looking for the hands in paintings now and going, ah, someone made you paint a lot of hands. <laughs> but there is a, also a factor that I was thinking, though, of you have... This ties into my bigger, broader question. Why fund the arts? And the reason this question is important is that if your policy is looking to fund arts in order to develop business, right? Develop the industry. Right. Or if it's there because you think it's actually just good for communities to have engagement with the arts. Yeah. Or if it's there because you want to preserve Irish culture. Now, you can do all three or you can do one, but you have to know what you're actually trying to do. We're trying to do all three badly. We're trying to do all three badly. Because if you're trying to preserve Irish culture... That's where the thing, for instance, the writers' bursaries comes in. Mm -hmm. They need to be looking at an awful lot of uh, specific painting styles. You have to be looking at very interesting things that are being forgotten, and you need to actively fund them. Also, they need to like actually have a music center that's collecting, that's doing a modern day O'Carolan, going yes. around and collecting all of the traditional tunes and writing them down or even the simple thing of i mean it's it's preserved in some areas of ireland but uh because of river dance got shoved to the side of shanos dancing yeah like that is much more the traditional irish dancing and it's still very popular out west as i well know yeah, yeah it is. but i've talked to many people in towns and cities who aren't quite sure what it is in fact many of them have occasionally come across have thought Jesus, they're not great at the Irish dancing. Their arms are going everywhere. They're going, that's because that's they're actually dancing. Yes. River dance and Irish dance are not the only forms. Yes. If you're doing it for the sake of communities, then there's an important thing. Then you need to actually be looking at the people in the community. Then there's not much point. If it's for the sake of the communities, that's where the thing is. Don't bring the French dancer out to Kerry. Mm. Find the dancers in Kerry. Yeah. You know, because there's a simple thing. If you're living and lived most of your life in a county, you want to support your county's culture. Yeah. So you're much more liable to go, I don't quite understand it, but I appreciate it and I'm going to support it because this is my home county, this is part of my place. Although, I mean, maybe it's a little international of me. I, do, I agree with that, but yes. I do think as well, though, that if you had interpretive dancing characters... No, there could be. I don't know. I'm not from there. But if you did, yeah. and then they invited... But that's this French group, as long as it's in part, because you don't want it just to be isolated. No, no, but you, can't, for carry you, all can't, the time. you can't attract that interest if you don't have people already in the area yes, who I have developed that totally interest. Yeah. Um, like you know, for example, um, I would absolutely love to see some uh, more stuff brought in from all across the world to to Ireland, but it's very difficult to do that when you when communities aren't even getting the funding to do their own stuff. That's where the problem comes That's in. Because yeah. they don't have the interest, then it falls apart. And if you're doing industry stuff, and this is a very key important thing, you must talk to the industry. Talk to people involved in it. Talk to businesses. Talk to other countries. Yeah. Because you actually need to understand what has changed and what's changing in order to actually... Like, this is much like even just education yeah. in terms of these things. If you're... If your regulations are still assuming, as they are in Ireland for the most part, that you're going to be using a film camera yeah. with reels and film, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you still have that on the books and still your presumption, then you're falling rapidly behind the times. Now, that's changed recently, but even as digital was rising, Ireland was very slow to recognize it was, yeah. that the day of film there. was gone. Yeah, And it's very important to be on the cutting edge because 
uh, with especially film. Uh, but even with all other but films, films always been separated out from the rest. No, I know, but you have yeah. to do these things as a broad thing. I'm you just do, using yeah, film yeah. as an example. Yeah, yeah. But you ha- you have to do, do this across the board. Mm. You have to recognize across the board that you know we actually need to talk to the people in the industry. You wouldn't if you were worried about the renewable energies industry. You wouldn't just work on the regulation yourself. You would actually go talk to people involved in that area and ask them what can we actually do to help. What's not helping. And you need to do that regularly. You have to be constantly reviewing your plan because it's a very dynamic series of industries. They change very quickly. Mm. What is a good idea five years ago, I mean, if you think about it this way, it would be very easy to have put in absolutely no interest into uh, digital media for a long time. And then suddenly it was, without a doubt, probably the most important change that ever happened to the arts in general. Because that has a major impact. Yeah, I agree with you, but the, the other problem, of course, is that if you're, there's always going to be the dollar and cents people yes. who are going to say, we're putting money in, what are we getting out? And actually, in fairness, the arts lobbying groups have gotten very good at returning and going, it brings this much to the economy and this much in tourism. And this yes. much. Now, I have a lot of problems with both those sides of those arguments because I'm like, the first one is wrong for a number of levels because we spend very little of our entire budget on this. So anything we put in, if it gets any return, it's massive. Yeah, Yeah. that's the first one. And the second one, and also most of the money we spend is on backing administration and not giving out money. Um, So that's a whole other deal. The second argument back at it is it's very hard to pinpoint one policy when it comes to revenue. This is my other issue. So. But the film guys are very good at making their arguments because they can point to tangible results and all that kind of stuff. Because their their projects are have so much higher volume of money, it is easier to track it. But the thing is, like they actually have an audience. Like when you make a movie, you're making it for an yes. audience. When you're a sculptor, don't know if audience always comes into it. And, and they have tricky. a right to make that, and they have a right yes. to make it with public money. Uh, even though I hate that phrase because I put myself in a right-wing box saying that, but yeah. they have a right to do it and we have a right to enjoy it. Uh, it is, but it, like, it's not like people are queuing up to see it. Well, see, it's an interesting thing about this. Um, right, so there's a sculpture down in Ennis. It's right. Icarus. Right. right. It was in the center of the market I've seen all it. of my life. I've right? seen it, yeah, yeah. And I think it's fantastic. In fact, I think everyone in Ennis, it's probably their favorite sculpture. Now, we've got that giant column with... Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know why, but I believe it's Michael Collins with a like toga wrapped around him, and it's up massively high. So I have no idea if it's good or bad. But why would Dev allow Michael Collins to be built in his home? I have no idea. Maybe it could just be Daniel O'Connell. I can't tell. It's, it's just weird. some dude up in a giant pillar with and a toga. It's impossible for me to tell. That could statue could be weathered to shit, and you'd have no way of knowing. It's yeah, yeah. possible to see. But Icarus was a beloved statue, mm. and a very annoying thing was done with it. It was moved. Yeah. And it was moved out onto a roundabout. Right? A roundabout that's part of a bit of a bypass, really, of the town. Yeah. And that was one of those things, like, it still annoys me. Now, my dad's delighted, because that's how he drives to work, so he gets to see Icarus every day. But they replaced it, and the statue they replaced it with, it makes more sense for a market. It's some guy in a bowl, and it's obviously he bringing his cattle to market. But I like Icarus. Yeah, that was part of the, the town's identity. And I think that is a thing that statues are very particular in that way. Mm. Statues do become, you know, I mean, especially, at least in Ireland, I know, 
we do become very attached to statues. No, we do, yeah. I mean, there's a reason, you know, Mary Malone, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, also, like, when Yates got hit by a drunk driver in Sligo, oh, there yeah. was uproar. You know, well, why would you do that? Yeah, Even yeah. in Galway, we've got that uh, that one? brass one of Oscar Wilde oh, and yeah, yeah, Edward yeah. Wilde. This, uh, yeah. I, th- I can't remember what country he's from. The country gifted us the statue. And, his, and he was a cousin of Oscar Wilde. And I guarantee it was my favorite place to go during the summer. Because loads of people sit in the bench, take their picture with the Oscar Wilde statue. And every time you will hear dozens of people throughout the day going, and who's this other guy? But it's <laughs> who's like, Ed? Yeah. But it's the thing that's like, yes, it's important to actually have these things. Because it doesn't give a lot of character to a place. And they do get sort of weirdly much beloved. Yeah. But there is, uh, there is an importance to it for another reason. Um, once you start losing the techniques of some of these fine arts, mm-hmm. what they're under, yeah. once you start losing the techniques, and they're very easy to lose, they are, yeah. They actually are almost impossible to get back, especially if you're talking about a small country like Ireland. Mm-hmm. For us, like, so if we didn't keep funding sculptors, yeah. inevitably what would happen, if we didn't do it for you know 20 years, mm. and... No one's going in. What we would need to bring it back. Someone would have to go to another country, learn from them, and bring it back here. Mm. Although, that's not going to happen, because we'll always have the independent sculptors. True, but it is, it is important to no, we are careful. Close to, we're close to losing Harpist, though. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. I that's mean, a big problem. There's not that many. It, it, but it is an important thing to really look into these policies quite a bit, because it is the, probably the most vulnerable area of a society that... It's, even a small recession can do massive damage. Oh, yeah. Don't know. Recessions do do you know. huge damage. I think part of it, though, it feeds into another thing. It's like Irish social culture or leisure time yes. is dominated by going to a bar. Yes. We really don't have many alternatives apart from that. This is true. We really genuinely don't. Yeah. Uh, we do have art centers and museums and stuff. And I remember when I was doing my master's and I was meeting with the management of these places. And I was like, so they're all free. Yes. I was like, you tell people when they get off the plane, right? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, so so the tourists are coming. But the native Irish guys aren't going. Yeah. But they're free. Yes. You pay 100 euro for to see three museums in like any other country. See, the problem I think with that... Um, and it's not like our museums are bad. No, they're very good. They're very good. I, I, I appreciate a lot of them. And I, I always find it funny that there's... But our a... art galleries are good. You know, I mean, yeah. our theatres are good. You have to pay for those. Yeah, well, obviously, but... I think that issue is tied to a thing of, again, as I was saying, it is that art, arts literacy yeah. is important. And I actually think, to, to give credit to our education system, it actually does a relatively good job. Well, it drags the kids it, to it them, could yeah. do, It could do better, yeah. right? It could yeah. do better. But I do remember, at least when I was doing The Leaving Cert, and they brought us to actually see Macbeth in the theatre. Yeah. And it wasn't the best show of Macbeth in the world. No. And this theatre group is that group. They just do whatever play is being done that year and yeah. toured around the country. Yeah, yeah, Second age. But they did a good job. Yeah. And they updated it and there was a gunshot and everyone got engaged and everyone kind of got the play a lot better afterwards. And I think that's why we do actually still have a fairly decent amount of people who are... I think if, if I talk to most people, they'll often go, Jesus, I loved working in the theatre when mm. I was, you know, 1920. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is something that um, is important to communicate better to the community. But the problem is, is that because a lot of this is through county councils, mm. number one, and county councils are notoriously bad at communicating anything at all, um, there is additionally the problem of when it's not done by the county council, it's done by Dublin. Dublin. Which is even more annoying for people. 
because Dublin often does the, you know, people in Dublin decide we should do this here and then forget to tell the people there and just do it and just do it uh, the Wild Atlantic Way in many ways is a good example of that because the Wild Atlantic Way was up and running and yes definitely hostels mm. knew about this bike companies knew about this I knew about this because at the time we were doing some work for a bike company but I remember when I first started bringing it up to people and they're like the hell is that yeah, it's, like, it's right down the road from you. It's like I've never heard of it. No one's told me. And now people now know about it because it was a big success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they that didn't summer, but they, they did not before the summer, and it does cause problems. And the ancient East is the same crap. I was in. What Grace, the, I never was, heard of this. I was in. It's the opposite one. I was yes. in Bray, and I was telling the guy. I said, "Oh, you're ancient East." And he said, "What the hell's the ancient East?" And I said, "Well, it's this thing going from like here to Dundalk." And he's like, "Well, why didn't they tell us?" But there's even a great example. That's in Dublin. Yeah. But it's even a great example if you uh, look at Newgrange and yeah. the heritage side of things. Newgrange is one of a number of sites in that area. And Newgrange is great if you get in during the solstice because you're massively lucky and win the lottery to get in. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it might actually be really dull and just be like, oh, right, it's bright in here now. And now it's not. But there's way better sites just a couple of miles down the road yeah. that are utterly like unoccupied I talked to one guy who worked there and he's gone I just sit here most of the time and occasionally someone turns up and they're just excited to actually be able to tour them around but I think that's a problem of you do actually need a better centralized authority to actually figure out coming up with a marketing plan and putting signpost places and coming up with a couple of maps like the Wild Atlantic Way yeah. worked great but you need to put more effort in I suppose if I was to sum up my views of the arts in Ireland, it would be must try harder. I would agree with that, but I worry about the centralization because if if we take it away from the councils, okay, so two things will happen. Councils will no longer be able to muck about in heritage in dodgy ways and they won't award art contracts to their mates, which does happen in a couple yes. of counties. There's been some investigations into that. Uh, in the last of the time years. it goes to someone's cousin. Yeah, you know. that, that's a Donegal yeah. problem. So that does happen. There have been investigations. Wrists were slapped. Yeah. Okay. So look, they got a crappy punishment, but it was done. If you remove that from them, fine. Do you really think people are going to put up with another massive bureaucracy? Put this that is will my... be centralized in yeah. Dublin, yeah. almost certainly. Yeah. Or else, if you centralize it like in Longford, like, no one can ever. Nobody get can there. get there. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you. So um, it's it's a rock and a hard place. Like the count, some councils. Spend a lot of mo- money, time, but, and effort. And some councils don't care. Here's an interesting thought. Bear in mind, a third of the heritage officers are actually vacant right now. Oh, that's not good. But here's an interesting thought. Perhaps it might be a better idea to form it somewhat like the HSC. Oh, no, Jack. No, that's not <laughs> a good plan. <laughs> no, you know, split just it like, up. You just know. jam in all of the bureaucracy. Well, well, no. I mean, what I mean by that is it what, prevents... the Art Executive Authority? Well, I mean, by that, it means that the, you know... The Connacht region can focus on you its are, particular you interests. Are like the prov- every discussion we have, it's like you are Mister Provincial. It's like we can't have Jack. I, we can't have directly elected mayors for councils. What we need is a <laughs> massive provincial level like governor. It, it annoys me <laughs> that we have them and we don't use them. So <laughs> you basically want to take a provincial level dictator who's elected for four years to just run the show. You know, well, I, Claudius. Well, no, I, well, my thinking is, is that, look, if uh, if you split it up, 
into more provincial districts. It means you can do those large Wild West Atlantic Way sort of projects. Mm. That doesn't necessarily need to be done provincial lines, right, but right, we right. should be using them. Yes. Um, but similarly, I mean, there's an interest, for example, with Cork City, they actually have an interest in still working on things in Tipperary, Limerick, Clare, because where is most people who are going to be visiting the South landing in it? Clare and yeah. Shannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have an interest in keeping that a route open that has interesting spots leading them all the way to Cork, the, the best city in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you do Dublin, Dublin similarly ha- has an interest in spreading it around the county because there's so many, yes, you've got the satellite towns, but it's good if tourists go out to the satellite towns. It's good yeah. for Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lessens a lot of the strain on the city. Yeah, yeah, and they're still strange. going to be visiting the big things in Dublin. Yeah, they're landing in in Dublin. They're going to go see, you know, the storehouses things. There's already, like, Dublin doesn't have to worry about tourists. Dublin's problem is getting them out of Dublin. Yes. Um, But I don't, I I do think, I think if, if I suppose if we have to summarize, and I suppose we do because we're probably running out on time, Mm -hmm. the important thing is that we actually need to have a more national discussion about what we actually want to do with the arts and or heritage and actually stick to a plan. Doesn't matter if that plan is not the greatest plan in the world. Just hammer but something out. Have a plan, a national strategy of what we want to do and how we're going to do it. And how much is it going to cost? Yeah, that very important. Try and make it cheap is always good. But no, it's like not even that. It's just ring fence the money. So yeah. it's the same. So you know it's the same volume for every yeah. year for 10 years. Yeah. This is what it's going to be. Here's how you budget. You don't do annual budgets. No. You do a 10 year. This is the money. We're going to get this, you know, every. 31st of December, this is when we get our check yeah. from well, the state. Especially because then if after 10 years, if things are not working, then you can go, okay, we gave that plenty of time to test it out. Yeah. It didn't work or and it also, worked for a year. And, and also then, it takes it away from the fact that governments change and fall and all yes. that kind of stuff. It removes it from the political angles. Yeah. I suppose that would be your suggestions anyway. And it's, yeah. it's important to have that discussion out there in the world. I, I would again ask all of our listeners, if you have comments or questions or want us to talk about a further issue about it or more specifics, please get in touch. I'm sure that there will be lots, considering that a lot of our listeners are art practitioners. So that's all for me, Jack Cavanaugh. And that's all for me, Jack Kerwin. Thank you and goodbye.